0: Can I help you, sir? Uh, hi, I am here about the knocker upper position. Uh, I saw your, your advertisement and I wanted to. Oh yes, you go right ahead. Yeah. Oh, right great. in that oh, way. Thank you.
1: Okay, thank you. Hi, I'm Marty. How you doing?
0: Uh great. Uh, I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm 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 Norman. Sorry, I'm a little nervous. Um
1: you call me Norm. Call me Norm. Okay. Yeah great. Great. Well, uh Norm. Uh so Tell me what was your uh, what was your previous line of work?
0: Uh, well, you know I've actually spent a lot of time in waste management, which you know doesn't sound very luxurious because uh, it's not. But you know I've very very well learned. Um, you know I've got great taste in movies. Uh, I love to cook. Really? Um, so you know I've been told by many I'm a catch. So, you know, I feel like, honestly, I've got the perfect kind of material to uh,
1: contribute, if you know okay. what I mean. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I mean, uh, those don't really apply to the job. But, know, it's great to oh. know what you're like as a person. Um, let me ask you a couple questions. Yeah, please. Uh, so, do you have any issues with Windows? Windows? Yeah, Windows. Um, I mean, not so much issues. I mean, um, is, there, are, are, is there likely to be Windows in, involved? Many. Any, I mean, this will be almost exclusively windows. A couple doors here and there, but mostly windows. Yeah. Okay. Um. All right. I honestly, I, I wasn't really expecting that,
0: but yeah. No, I don't. I, you know, as a young man, boy, I definitely crawled through my fair share of
1: windows. I'm sure I can do that. That's not not a problem. Okay. Um. Follow up question: Do you have any issues with heights? Because some of these are like on the second or third floor. Uh. Don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah. No. That that. Um. I'm assuming I'll be provided something you know, to work with. Right. Yeah. yeah I'll have a stick. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, I've seen the Olympics. That should be fine.
1: Look, I'm going to level with you. This, this is actually a pretty easy job. I think you can kind of yeah. <laughs> uh, sense that. Um, so i actually, what questions do you have from me? Uh, a few actually. I mean, this is
0: a unique position. Um, I guess my biggest question is what is the involvement of the, the husband's? Or, or I'm not necessarily sure. husbands i mean uh, I the understand. the the
1: other person involved well I mean I mean most of our clients are men um there's a few women and but i mean their marital status isn't isn't really an issue I and mean, why do you ask no, i men no I'm sorry I, I was just kind of expecting it to be very much
0: like exclusively actually the other way
1: around no um, we don't have any really any control over that that's just kind of the way it is. <laughs> Okay, I thought that that you know, um,
0: I thought we had a lot of control over that, but okay, all right, no, that's that's um, you know what? I think I can probably cross that bridge when I get to it because i'm I am very dedicated to this. okay,
1: is there anything else, any other questions you have for me?
0: Um, I guess like the the frequency of of clients that I'm going to have, you know, how often I'll sure. be working with them, and and you know when I will be you know
1: assigned a new one. Absolutely. Well, yeah. I mean, there will be you'll be seeing them pretty much five days a week because we can't do weekends. With union regulations. There's, uh, there's
0: union regulations.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. This is really progressive. Okay.
0: Yeah. No. Um, five times a week. Jesus. All right. Uh, Sure. I, I mean, I imagine it's going to take, you know, a few times. So, sure. I mean, but uh, how many people are we
1: talking about? I mean, about three or four hundred. Oh, how much time do I have with each person? 30 seconds.
0: 30 seconds? Yeah. I'm not 16 anymore. I mean, my God, you got to give me at least... I don't know. Uh, uh, Can I have five minutes? I
1: mean, I guess if they hit the snooze button, <laughs> they could certainly... Oh, or... Th- I mean, I mean, you you did read the job description. Well, of,
0: of course, I, I. Well, I mean, okay. So read might be a strong word. Maybe maybe you know, glanced at uh, might be more appropriate. But I mean, look. Okay, I came in off the street because I know I can do this. I mean, you don't know how many women I have gotten pregnant. Like you just you just don't know. Like I. I am the perfect candidate for this. I, I am the knocker-upper that you're looking for.
1: That's what I'm saying. Oh. You must have gotten the old job description, because we've, we, we've changed. I mean, it's the same description, but we've changed the title. It's now called the Human Alarm Clock.
0: Oh. Okay, so this makes a lot more sense why people in the waiting room are, like, six foot four, six foot... Okay. All right. I was curious. I was I was curious about that. Yeah. Uh uh-huh. hmm you know I'm I can I could do that. I could I could easily do that. You should probably leave. Okay, yeah.
1: Welcome to Nerds on History. I am Brian Moriarty and I ladies and gentlemen, listeners, am Eric Brickmont. Welcome back, sir. Woo! Woo! Yes. Back. Bye. Incidentally, I think you and Sarah have some sort of like weird curse upon you where like you guys can't be in the same room. Yeah. I mean, have you seen Lady Hawk? It's kind of like that. Like you guys, you know, you know, you've seen the movie where like, you know, where by day you're, a, you're a wolf and she's a lady, right? but by night she's a hawk and then you're a man. Yeah. It's, it's nothing like that. Yeah. It has to all do with uh, curses. Yeah. And it's completely different. Bad schedules more yeah. than anything. Yeah. Sarah's not here.
0: Uh <laughs> yeah. It's called I'm Really Overworked and Sarah's Really Overworked and trying to find time where we all three can be in the same room for like the next probably
1: two months is gonna be a challenge. And I am vastly underworked. Yeah. So I'm you the are. easiest part of this equation. <laughs> um It's actually cool. My my uh first commercial um posted on YouTube the other day. So Woo-hoo!
0: very already,
1: ladies and gentlemen. Yes, and those who follow it's on my Facebook page, so you guys can uh check that out um yeah so uh congratulations
0: on that by the way
1: well thank you thank you i mean i mean i'm in the commercial for like two seconds but hey but you know what that's two seconds of gold gold so it's a shame they don't give awards out for commercials actually no they do not for actors in, in commercials though uh sorry but anyway uh how are you sir besides being
0: exhausted i'm quite happy actually i'm good Uh, I had a nice little vacation, went with the kids, went out camping. That was a lot of fun. Martha and the big girls and I, we went camping. Uh, Went up to the observatory for a couple of days, too, and just kind of just had a lot of fun hiking and playing, campfire. Uh, We found out what happens to marshmallows when you throw marshmallows into a campfire. They turn into carbon, basically. (laughs) Pretty much. But they, no, like they expand and explode and they, they burn out all of their fuel from the inside out. Yeah. And then you're left with this almost lava tube-esque kind of formation, right? It looks like, it looks like uh, volcanic rock, yep. but then it just collapses in on itself, and mm-hmm. it's it's very cool. So we threw about seven or eight of those in the fire.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. I mean, that's just what you do when you're bored at camping. I, I personally use a stick. Uh, well,
0: no, we also roasted marshmallows as well. It's just, you know, no, I'm when saying, you have but, a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old
1: there, something is going to get thrown in the fire. No, sure. What I'm saying is like after I've had my fill, of roasted oh. marshmallows. Oh, then you
0: burn a stick.
1: I, I just I just take a stick and I I incinerate a marshmallow. I, I let the flame touch and I just let it burn.
0: Oh, okay. Now we're getting there. Now we're
1: getting yeah. there. Okay. Red flames. Kind of crazy. It is. A yeah. A little bit, yeah. All right. Yeah. And that's what you're putting into your body, ladies and gentlemen. Mmm. Yeah. Sugar. Yes, indeed. How have you been? Besides, you know, the acting and all that good stuff. Uh, good. Good. You know, acting is one of those things where you're constantly looking for work. So, I mean, I'm submitting probably about 10 roles a week. Okay, sure. Uh, and, you know, there's some weeks where you'll get an audition and some weeks you won't get any. So, you know, it's just it's just the way it is. Um, so, yeah, I have a couple auditions coming up, which I'm looking forward to. I can't... I probably shouldn't talk about the projects
0: Mm-mm. just mm-hmm. to be on the safe mm-hmm. side. Yeah, oh, yeah, But
1: they're... Um, this is all, like, a, some listeners somewhere is like, he's not really an actor. He's just giving us a bunch of malarkey. Did you hear that cold open? He's an actor. And I have to
0: say... You know, it was one of my finer performances on this show. Uh, yes, you, Eric, say, you, was... you performed admirably yes, as a I'm, voice actor. I'm evolving. Speaking of which, yes. let's talk about that cold up for a moment, because we didn't mention a job.
1: Yeah, we did. The knocker upper. The
0: knocker upper. And
1: it reminds me,
0: in the past, of a former episode of Nerds on History. just God, Over why, why a hundred seem... episodes. I... Wait, hang on, hang on. Long ago. <laughs> Over a hundred episodes ago.
1: You sound... I don't know if you're a pirate or you're Jamaican. What is happening there? That's a little It's different. just some, like, grovelly narrator voice. Okay. I don't know. I'm trying <laughs> to break into voice acting. I need to take some classes. I am taking a class. I forgot to mention that. It's the end of the month. I'm looking forward to that. All right. Yeah. Let,
0: let's... let's Bring it back in for a second. Anyway, long so so about anyway, cold like open. I said, long <gasps> ago. <laughs> over a hundred episodes ago. Right. What do we talk about? One of our favorite episodes from the past.
1: Weefling peas. Wefling a- peas. Absolutely. Yeah. Our odd job episode where
0: we talked about strange and kind of bizarre jobs. Jobs that have fallen
1: into obscurity. Yeah, they're totally in most down. of the world. There's right. some of the jobs that still exist today and some jobs that are exclusive to certain countries. Like the funeral stripper was a, yeah. was was an interesting one. Yeah. In Taiwan. That, that's that's still
0: though. I support that 100%. Um, but the knocker-upper, for those of you who did not kind of catch it from the cold open, right? So this is a, a time before alarm clocks, time before your smartphone was buzzing or wake you up with right. some apparatus on your wrist or what have you, right? And you had people who were hired to literally just go around with big long poles with little, you know, knobs on the end. And they gently wrap on people's windows yeah. and kind of be like, hey, oi, wake
1: up. Or, or or they were pea shooters. They literally <laughs> yeah. shot little pebbles through shoots yeah. to uh, wake people up, which is what probably what podcasting would have sounded like in the 19th century. Right. Um, not at all having to do with pregnancy. No. No, 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 no. no, no, no. no, no, no. Um, which I think is hilarious, by the way. Um, not, not pregnancy, just this just your... just <laughs> <Ha>! Gestation. <laughs> That's a knee slapper. Uh, oh, it gets me every time. It's a humdinger. I so... <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> so, uh, anyway. Uh, yeah, it's true, and it's... Uh, I, I love that in our cold open, we we didn't even acknowledge that, like, cell phones exist. Like, you could have just been going around calling people to wake them up, but no. <laughs> no, we <laughs> just, <we're> just <laughs> yeah. Just ridiculous, totally ridiculous. But it got us thinking, why don't we blow the dust off of that subject? Because we, we've we always had these ideas of revisiting topics, and we've done a couple. Yeah, we've done it like, a few times. Like the um the laws episode, we did that a couple times. Yeah, yeah. I thought this is a great one we should we should revisit and go back yeah, to. Yeah, I agree completely. So
0: um, I'll, I'll go ahead and kick us off. Sure. It's been a while since I've been talking, so I need to talk
1: a little bit about Ancient Egypt because, you know,
0: <sighs> honestly,
1: I, it, it's been a while since it's been, I've really been... It actually been, has been a long time. I think yeah. some of our newer listeners are like, why is Eric talking, talking about, about Ancient Egypt? Egypt? Because I love
0: Ancient Egypt, because it's my life in the past, when I worked at the Rosicrucian Egyptian yes, Museum. Yes, for those that.
1: who don't know, I will say it for you so you don't sound egotistical. Right. Eric is an expert on ancient Egypt, because he worked for 10 years at the Rosicrucian Egyptian
0: Museum. Right, to which many of our listeners are then rolling their eyes and saying, that makes him an expert. No, okay, I don't have a degree, <laughs> but I'm a very passionate enthusiast of ancient history in general there was a and considerable. Egypt.
1: Yeah, I have a lot of knowledge. Yes, there yeah. was a considerable, uh, let's be fair here, there is a considerable amount of training that goes into being a docent. There is. Considerable. Like Eric and more was so, in, I
0: was the person who was training everyone else in the museum. Vast majority of the time, at least our volunteers and all that could totally. So, so I had to know something. What yeah. you what you lack in a piece of paper, you got from the streets. Damn right, I'm uh, I'm Nile Smarts. That's what I got, <laughs> which is ironic because I hate boats. But anyway, um, the the ancient Egyptians had a wide variety of very interesting jobs, and perhaps none more interesting than the Ripper Upper.
1: Also, Nothing to do with knocker-upping. No, no, no,
0: no, no. This is a different upper. Um, also sometimes referred to as the slitter, depending on the translation Good and the time God, period. God, yeah. does this
1: position involve?
0: It's actually very important. And it was, it was considered to be very um, prestigious, if you will. So we all know that the ancient Egyptians had this fascination with the continuation of life after death. Of course. And that manifested in its most iconic fashion, which is the mummification of the deceased, right? So sure. the removal of internal organs and liquids from the tissues in order to dry out and preserve the body. Right, and then, of course, wrappings and... Exactly. We've done a whole yeah. episode on this. Yes, so, we did. I, and I think I may, be, may I may have even mentioned this in that episode, but you know what? It's worth mentioning again because, damn it, it's a good one.
1: Again, an episode we haven't... A subject we haven't touched in so long. Exactly. So the Ripper Upper was one of the
0: various priests who was involved in the mummification process. It probably was not a position that was question was there ever a jack the ripper upper well the problem with jack is that the j is a really difficult sound in ancient egyptian so no there would have been like a um, yak the ripper we could have gone that yeah <laughs> um actually no that's not true that there's a there's a DJ. anyway we're
1: Get me off track God damn it sorry. sorry we're trying to get sorry. this thing going sorry brian ha- you eric you know what? You are the master of bad puns. I have to sneak one in there. Every I t- bring it out of you. I really
0: can. do. I enable you. Um, no, there's no Jack the ripper upper, but uh, this was a role that was almost certainly not handed down from like generation to generation. It was probably a rotating kind of role. So people took turns and it's probably good because even though it was very prestigious, it totally sucked. Your job was the first person to really do any kind of physical manipulation of the body and the, cutting open of a dead body was actually considered to be quite taboo. Ironically, because they have to go in there and remove all the internal organs. So when they, How would they remove it then? Well, somebody had to go over there and do the job, essentially, right? So that was the ripper-upper. And he would have a blade made of obsidian, and he would use it uh, very, very sharp so he wouldn't have to spend a lot of time uh, making a, 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 an incision on the abdomen. Probably, you know, depending on the time period, it varies, but most of the time it was about you know, the length of the thumb and forefinger across from one another. So maybe about four or five inches, maybe a little longer.
1: like down the center? Or
0: No, it was always on the left side of the abdomen. Okay. And he would make the incision and then he would start to run because all the other priests were watching this process and holding stones and they would pelt him with stones and curse at him and chase him out of the room and you know he would you know run is off. that
1: was that just like a pageantry thing because they it were- was
0: purely ceremonial right because the taboo is being performed right he's cutting open a dead body and therefore yes it's necessary because that's the only way you're getting the internal organs out what
1: what is training those priests like just like okay guys he's gonna slit him now you're gonna throw rocks but do not actually aim at him it's actually you know it takes about four
0: days uh, they usually get set up at a hotel <laughs> and travel expenses are all included. You know, it's 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 nice, but it, that's people. That's actually people very are groundbreaking pretty for considering yeah.
1: the time and place in history. So,
0: well, I mean, there was a, a lot of rituals surrounding the body and the des- desecration of dead bodies. Right, that wasn't a big thing. I know we talked about body snatchers the last time we did this too, and that was very taboo for the time. But people sure. kind of turned a blind eye, and this is another way of turning a blind eye. Okay, you can't ignore it, but you you weren't trying to hurt this person. It wasn't malicious. You weren't throwing the stones hard. They were probably small stones. I imagine, you know, they weren't terribly big. Uh, And then once all was said and done, he would return in the role of whatever else he was tasked doing. It's very theatrical. Yeah, it is. Well, absolutely. There was a lot of theatrics in Egypt. There was a lot of playing out these roles, right, in order to enact it so it is real. So they're showing respect to the dead by, you know, quote-unquote,
1: really harming the person who's desecrating the body. Sure. But, of course, the Egyptians... It didn't think that the internal organs had any purpose beyond death. Well, no, that's not
0: true. They actually retained the lungs, liver, intestines, and stomach, and they had a general understanding of their usage, which is why they, they held on to them. Okay. Uh, the brain was discarded under most circumstances or left to rot away. <laughs> the brain was considered to be garbage. they they later... Uh, and Egyptian... the liver,
1: apparently, too. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, no, they, left the, they kept the liver. They kept the liver? Oh, yeah. Okay. You know how much beer they're drinking in Egypt? You gotta have your liver. Uh, I'm just saying. Uh, the brain was in some later writings uh, considered to be the source of mucus and what have you. so it wasn't really held in high regard. Many ancient civilizations uh, consider the heart to be the the home of all thinking yes and thought and, and your the vessel of your soul, which and is why stuff. it became synonymous with the word for the soul and all that the yeah. spirit and, yeah. right okay. exactly. So but you know someone had to do it right and it was this guy's job. okay yeah, I'm sure they all went out and like had a drink afterwards. it was no problem. Sure, he like, yeah. "Hey,
1: man, sorry for the black guy. It's fine. It's fine. It's my job. It's fine.
0: But you know, don't be a dick because you're going to probably be the next guy to have that happen. So you know, you don't want to be like pelting
1: stones really hard at this dude because he's going to do the same thing to you. Exactly. Well, that is interesting, isn't so? So when did this did this fall out of fashion? When mummification fell out of fashion? Basically, it's hard to say. I mean, we do have only a few references
0: of actual written record of, of the ripper upper. But we can assume based on the amount of time between those references that this was a tradition that pretty much continued throughout the time that mummification was going on. Okay. During the Roman period, I'm sure everything changed. Because
1: everything always right, changed. Right. Because by that Roman point, period. just to give people a refresher, they had refrained from using mummification for no, the most no, no. part. They but... used
0: mummification. But it was it was very different. It was a much more sloppy process and it was much more transactional, kind of mechanical. Right. It it didn't have as much ceremony and prompt Or pomp, I should say, behind it. Didn't
1: we say it one episode? And you're obviously going to know this better than I will, but didn't we say in one episode that come to like the Hellenization of of Egypt that they also had started doing like above ground graves too? For. um...
0: Yeah, once you get into the Roman period, everything starts to change. Once you get into the Christian period, then everything takes a huge dramatic change. Uh, And there was a lot of mass graves and mass burials, and it was not nearly as. As uh, specialized, I should say, as it was
1: during the pharaonic period. Got it. Cool. Thank you for clarifying that. Anytime. That's great, man. Thank you. Well, you know what? Since we're on this topic of the metaphysical, I would love to throw one at you. Because if Eric's going to talk about ancient Egypt, what am I going to talk about, ladies and gentlemen? Can anyone guess? Well, it's going to be either theater theater or Christianity or cooking. Christianity, ladies and gentlemen. Actually, this is more arcane than traditional christianity all right it, it got has, my interest Go ahead. yeah yeah this is much more mystical all right okay we are going on a journey oh no dark arts Ooh. no i'm kidding um sin eating oh this i you dear thing but i do want to add something to this of course because well, i'm sure there's because this idea of purging sin um is actually fairly common uh, in many cultures, oh, they just do yeah. it in different ways. So the idea behind this, and it's believed to have derived from Celtic uh, origin, hmm. uh, but the idea is that after a person has died, if they died without any of their, you know, their debts, so to speak, uh, having been, you know, settled, uh, what was the tradition to do was to have a piece of bread or some or a drink of some kind or whatever, laying on the body. And of course, this is a point where, you know, bodies would sometimes be laid out for a few days before they were actually buried, right? And the sin eater's job was in fact to, the the belief was that their spirit would, or the, the bread or whatever it is, would soak up that, that negativity. And the job of the sin eater was just to eat that that bread or that whatever that food Or was. wine, I think, was often used. And we're sure. talking
0: about, th- this is used not exclusively in the world, in Europe, but I mean, was, what you're talking about is mostly in Europe in the sense of a sin eater.
1: There's parallels to this in other parts Absolutely. of the world. And I mean, science fiction, Not sorry, I shouldn't say science fiction. And fantasy writers have taken this and they have had a field day sure. with this. A um, couple examples are, hey, if you watch Sleepy Hollow, the TV show on Fox, then one of the characters is a sin eater. Uh, and in fact, he ends up... I, I haven't seen the whole show past the first season, so forgive me. Uh, or even par- past the first half of the first season. But uh, something bad happens to him because he absorbs... I think he actually absorbs the spirit of the Headless Horseman. I, fans, please do not be offended if I totally get that wrong.
0: Oh, you did not just drop a spoiler in there, too, I might I have dropped a
1: spoiler. I'm sorry. God!
0: Yeah, all right. Thanks, Brian.
1: Yeah. By the way, you goes- can direct your hate mail to Brian Moriarty... That is, uh, wait, wait, what's your? Stop, stop, you've already messed it up, so I'm just gonna go with it. Uh, Case in point, he he becomes bad. Um, And that was the belief, too, is like they weren't sure metaphysically what would happen to you, because if you were ingesting the sin, that means you were taking it on. Sure. So what happens to you when you die, right? So No one's eating for you, not with all the crap you're hauling around. Right, so I mean, this was obviously at a point where Europe was highly superstitious. yeah. And still, let's struggle with, you know, the control of the church, right? So we're talking the, you know, the middle, the Dark Ages, probably up until like I would say probably up until the Renaissance, maybe even past that, right? But there are also examples in the eighteenth and nineteenth century of oh, this going absolutely. on. Absolutely, well. I think there may have even been some that went into the twentieth century in some like remoter, more remote villages in, in Eastern Europe. And uh, here is the thing: so, being that the church was the religious stronghold over Western Europe, yeah. For a decent chunk of history. Um, The church never, never approved of sin eating because they already had a method for that. (laughs) Their method was you had a priest come to you before you died and they gave you the last rites. Right. You went to confession. That was their sin absolution. That's the big sin eating. That's, you
0: know, the big J, right? He was the one
1: doing all that. Jesus, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Jesus, That's what I call him now. It's a yeah. big J. Jesus gave you the ability to absolve sins without the need of ingesting food. Right. So what this likely came out of was people who were just desperately hungry, and you're like, I'm a sin eater, I am. I you. <laughs> yes, I can eat t- their sin. You just put some bread on there, maybe some wine, a bit of cheese, and then, you know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, you know, you see Christianity move in all these different parts of the world, sure. and what it does is it assimilates to the older pagan traditions and other traditions that were already prominent yeah. in the country that it moved into. So if this is a, a Celtic tradition that's merging with Christianity, it makes sense that on the outline areas, right, where the church doesn't have its biggest influence, sure. you're going to have examples of this going and
1: on. And how it spread, you know, we'll, we, don't, we won't know for sure. I Just going off of complete speculation, I would say probably Roma. Uh, because Roma existed in all parts of Europe and they traveled around quite frequently. So they might have, the tradition may have spread around through hmm. that. I don't know. Um, I'm not it's sure. Just, just, a, just a thought. I, it's Again, it's pure speculation. I mean, it don't may know. have also spontaneously kind of erupted in different just, cultures. Just from trade, too. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, here's one. I, I want to end on this, though. Because I love... There was a movie that was made back in, I think, 2004, maybe 2003, called mm-hmm. The Order. And The Order is all about the arcane, like, dark side of the church, the, the secret sides of the, of the Catholic church. And it stars the late Heath Ledger, uh, as a priest who is trying to find this sin eater. And th- what I thought was interesting is just the lore that they added to it. Yeah. Uh, to them, the, the sin eater was this being that once you had become the sin eater, which was originally, apparently, according to this legend, there's no historical basis for this, was uh, a line of priests who, um, had kind of fallen out of favor with the church. And so they were the ones who would call when the church couldn't offer you absolution or like they had done something that the church even deemed was too cruel for even their forgiveness. So they were—they were. They were the, that's how this myth happened. Yeah. Yeah. And, if, and if you had become the sin eater, something metaphysically happened where you had temporarily gained immortality. By that, I would just say is you wouldn't age. You would be pretty much stuck at that age until it was time for you to die. Yeah. And the whole, and again, sorry guys, spoilers, but you know, this is kind of an obscure movie, so you know what? Whatever. Um, The whole thing is that Heath Ledger tries to find a way to kill the Sin Eater, but what he doesn't realize until the... No, this is the twist, guys. So again, spoilers, earmuffs. Um, By killing the Sin Eater, you absorb their sins so that they can die, and they can go on to the next world, and you become... Very manipulative. Yeah, and you become the Sin Eater instead. Not cool, dude. Yeah. Not cool. So, and th- they justify this is because, say, if you had died with a mortal sin on your soul, yeah um before going to confession, this is the way that you could ensure that the spirit moved on without uh you know
0: well, you know it has going to hell it has overtones and elements of necro cannibalism, which is you know not widely performed, but it certainly exists I certainly hope not <laughs> yeah but no, it, it certainly exists in, in a lot of cultures, and it's nothing malicious, but upon the death of an individual consuming part of their body is Almost you know in some cultures ritually important for the the acceptance of that person's death sure and sometimes it has to do with the absorbing of their status or role in society or it, there's a whole lot of different ways that it goes and it, it's it has those elements of it in there so there's definitely parallels in other cultures around the world but without actually having to eat the the body, which is a
1: good thing I think that's a good thing yeah that's I think we can thing. all agree that's a pretty good thing. It's a good thing It's a good thing. It's a good thing. We should call Martha We should have Martha Stewart on the show. We should. We should. And well, then we should shame her. But you know, she doesn't return our calls. So no, yeah. since we shame her. <laughs> Kidding. We've never called Martha Stewart. Uh, <clears throat> cool. So what do you got for me, sir?
0: So speaking of uh, sin eating, I have something completely different. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So one thing I found in my research that. I'll be honest, the first thing that I conjured up as an image was a recent Disney movie that I've been forced to watch hundreds of times. Because Frozen? Yeah, exactly. Because I have four girls. Uh, Eric, so... just let it go. Oh, shut up. No. Just <laughs> you don't, let you don't, it no, go. Stop it. You don't have, You don't know how many times
1: I've had to listen to that song. You really don't. You really don't. Look, I can't hold this back anymore. Let it go. <laughs> let it go. Just run away and slam the door okay i'm done <laughs> i'm gonna slam the door right i have my hand on the doorknob right now
0: um so in the beginning of the movie right and so many people have seen this movie by this point so people I, I, somehow this is turning into like a movie spoiler episode somehow but i guess it's
1: not really a spoiler but you know it's important because movies again reflect they're yeah. the mirror of the culture especially if they're trying to depict a certain time period right and a job that's fallen out of fashion as well like frozen like frozen which frozen is talking opens about- with a great Glimpse at a profession that has long since passed. It's the greatest
0: musical number about cutting up ice that has ever been performed in history. In history. And it has to do largely with the fact that it's the only musical performance about cutting up
1: ice that has ever been performed in in history. But, um, I don't know if that's true. But, yeah. Well, you never know. If they do an X-Men musical and they want to work Iceman into it, that would be, you know. Yeah, that would be good. (laughs) Uh, The ice trade, though, is something that absolutely fascinates me.
0: And... You know, I can't just talk about one job within the ice trade because there were so many different elements that made all of this work. Yeah, and
1: it was also a highly dangerous position. That's the thing that Disney yeah. kind of softened up a little bit. Oh, a little bit. They probably yeah. wouldn't have had a little kid doing it like exactly. little Kristoff is shown doing.
0: And, you know, I'm sure some of our, of our listeners are thinking, you know, what is he talking about? What, what am I referring to as the ice trade? Well, in the 19th century, there was something very lacking, something that people greatly wanted but nobody knew they wanted and that Just was electricity cr- exactly <laughs> yeah and electricity would also provide you with things like refrigeration right and uh as such nobody really had a 100 percent great way of storing meat in its freshest form right they had lots of ways of preserving meat but they didn't really have a way of keeping it in right its, of course its pickling raw, it form.
1: salting it sure. burying it sometimes yeah, drying it out there was yeah. lots
0: of different examples of this right. but then um interestingly enough around uh you know where there's lots of ice. So in places like Norway and, and England and what have you, they realized from a very long time that they had a natural refrigeration system most of the time in their country. They could keep, you know, things that they had hunted right. cool by keeping it out in essentially an ice house, which was right. a big old, you know, shed that was full of, you know, snow and what have you sure. to cool the temperature down. And it became obvious, well, let's go ahead and actually cut out large blocks of ice, of which we have an abundance of in various frozen rivers and sure. fjords and all around, you know. Right. And let's go ahead and, and sell it for the purpose of, of commercial Absolutely.
1: cooling. Yeah, and let's not forget, too, that in the industrial era, you know, we're talking right before to probably even, maybe maybe even a little after the Civil War in America, too, the railroad system revolutionized ice cutting, because only in the sense that you can now get it longer distances before it melted, right? Exactly. And that's the thing. That was the the big difficulty and limitation was how did you get
0: ice to where you wanted to go to really make it worth the effort of cutting it all out? Exactly. Because it was a very difficult job if you were one of those ice cutters. You took your, your life... Into your hands yeah. every time you went out there. You're
1: cutting into a frozen lake, basically, yeah. or frozen whatever body of water. And that
0: that ice is what separates you from the cold water, which is what separates you from hypothermia, which is what separates you from death. So Correct. it's a it's a fun little pyramid to be a, a you know on top of. But you had pretty primitive tools from the outset of this. So we're talking about you know the 1830s, 1840s, it was your typical array of uh, an ice pick, an axe, and um, that was, you know, and a hook. And that was about it. I mean, we, what you needed to do was be able to cut out the block and then something to yank it out of the the water with. Right. Uh, and then you usually brought it away on sleds, which was brought to wagons, right. which was then brought to, right. you know, houses for cooling and, and keeping the ice
1: cool. And it goes without saying that you would need to have a tremendous amount of upper body strength to be able to perform this position right because you have to hook these things and lift them right onto some sort of sledding system
0: oh yeah I and mean, this is this is you know raw labor this was
1: not something that was going to be right um that just anybody could do. Yeah, and if you miss the wrong leverage, you could end up, you know, with a crushed body part. You could end up. You could end up killing somebody. You could
0: drown. You yeah. know slip underneath that ice, and there's a good chance you're not getting out, even right. with a bunch of people working right. around you.
1: Hypothermia, of course. You think you already said that. But sure. Yeah. So yeah. There,
0: there was a lot of dangers in this, but the turnaround was huge, and what it ended up doing for the world was huge. It opened up whole new avenues into, you know, the food trade, obviously, right? Right. Um, and into all sorts of different commercial areas that wanted to take advantage of cooling Uh, it, it just it was it was a big business and they quickly realized that once they had figured out a way to get the ice going faster they had you know perfected the type of ships that would be storing the ice in their holes and therefore keeping it cool during that time they had designed specialized wagons for keeping the ice cool and the ice helps a lot right because it continues to cool down the environment keeping everything solidified uh, but it also gave birth to the very first refrigerators, which are kind of neat,
1: right? Exactly, and that's what I think is kind of cool because in the early twentieth century, we discovered that if you pressurized, you know, chemicals to the to a point and put them through a coil, this, of course, we now know is Freon. Um, you would actually you can literally literally suck the heat out of uh, out, out of, of the space, air. yeah, mm-hmm. be, by increasing this pressure. And that was revolutionary because you now had the ability not just to refrigerate, but then you also figured out how you could freeze something, as well. Yeah. And I mean, that led to the the whole advent of frozen vegetables versus canning vegetables, mm-hmm. right? I mean, think about a lot of what we there are now entire sections in the grocery store that are uh, have their their trace elements in. The the role of ice cutting and the role of ice delivery, too. Let's not forget that either. The Ice Man, not the
0: X Men, but the actual, you know, the Ice Man Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just, <laughs> <laughs> totally different context. Yeah. Which, you know, you had your milk deliveries usually two or three times a day. Right. Uh, and then you also had your ice deliveries, was, which was pretty common. Right. And your, you know, your little refrigerator was essentially just a cooler, like an ice chest, like you'd find today, but right. with a compartment underneath for you to store large blocks
1: of ice. Right. And that's exactly where the term ice box came from, because it's yeah. exactly what it was. That's what it was. You used ice. You put it in there. Yeah. Um, And the need to have
0: this ice not just remove but remove quickly and also efficiently led to a whole new array of tools that were being used by these individuals. So gone were the days of just a simple, you know, ice axe and and hook, and now there were some pretty sophisticated tools that were in use. Um, so you had you know enormous chisels, gigantic saws that were designed for cutting through ice uh, and ice ads, you had these, instead of just a hook, you had these large grapplers. Uh, they look like a giant pair of forceps, right? And mm-hmm. those were, of course, being used on a small scale by the people who were also managing and delivering ice. And while it was common in the United States for you to have an ice man and somebody who would deliver the ice around to you, in England, they had been doing this for such a long time that it was usually the fishmongers and merchants and people that you went down to the local market that would sell you your ice and you would just deliver it and bring it back home to you. So everyone was kind of involved in ice. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is until they had, you know, invented refrigeration and that completely... You know, you know, artificial refrigeration and the production of ice as such completely and totally killed this trade.
1: But not before making it an absolutely massive industry that employed thousands upon thousands of people. And that is, unfortunately, that is the history of economics, right? When you come up with a new way of doing something, the... The game changes, and yeah. people who had one profession now have to learn another trade, but basically. I
0: mean, let's face it, though. I mean, obviously, we wanted to perfect it, and it was unpredictable, because if right. you had a warm winter, you were out of luck. And there were the great ice shortages right. uh, that have been reported, right, that screwed up a lot of uh, a lot of things for a lot of people.
1: It's good they weren't employed now. Ice famine. They actually called it ice famine. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Well, if they were employed now, they would be really screwed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, well... Social commentary. Uh, but you know what? <laughs> On this show, never. Yeah, but you know what? I bet that while those ice cutters were busy doing their work, you know what they probably had? A canter. Ah. ah. It's also the invention of the snow cone. Yes, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. And then, of course, colored syrups. Um, But, <laughs> uh, but the canter um, is the next thing we want to talk about. Hmm. you see the segue? I, I see think? that. I saw yeah, that. Yeah, it was very good. Yeah, thank you. Um. I find the cantor role fascinating because it has religious roots, but actually really doesn't. I mean, it has religious roots and it also has labor roots, too. It's not all about religion, Brian. It all goes back to it at some point, right? Because everyone had their weekly ritual, regardless of which god you worshipped. Regardless of which god you worshipped, right? Yeah. So, the cantor in Judeo-Christian terms is literally someone who sang from the scriptures. Very simple. Kante you know, is the, it, the the Latin root for that word is to sing. Right? And that's where chant comes from. That's, of course, where the word cantor comes from now. Now cantors in religious services tend to be just readers, but it has its nature in the idea of singing. Right? So, uh, and this goes back thousands of years. In Judaism, it is still done during High Holy Days. There is a cantor who sings tropes, sings Hebrew, transliterate Hebrew from from the Torah. Uh, and it's beautiful usually it's a very well-trained singer it's beautiful and in traditional latin masses right you have cantors who sing the readings in either greek or in uh in latin uh, and again beautiful singing voices and the only reason that comes up is because a cantor also helped in work right there's the whole line since we're gonna go disney mm. in snow white and the seven dwarves right Let's just go with high ho for a second, okay. right? Someone had to lead that, right? And that would be a canter, yeah. Right. The idea is if you're bringing it into a song, it doesn't feel like you're working. This was certainly popular, unfortunately, during the slave trade because yeah. <laughs> it was what the slaves sang, and that's where all where spirituals came from. Is yeah. the idea is they they used biblical imagery to help kind of give them some hope too. There's tons of different places where cantors have taken on different forms. I also find very interesting sea shanties. And again, shanty has the same root in, you know, chants and cantors and all that stuff. And there was a lead shantyman who was essentially a foreman who was teaching people, you know, on a sea ship. You know, they were making up words that would just kind of pass the time. Uh, and they would even do ones where the rhythm involved, ha, huh, huh so, they could, so that they could, like, get <laughs> what, people wait, to pull. What rhythm,
0: Brian? What was that? ha.
1: Huh. Oh, ha! ha. Okay. Yes. And in rhythm, like, so that they would put ha into the song, and they would lo- sync it with, you know, people pulling ropes to, like, l- raise the mast yeah. on a ship, you know, or raise the sail on a ship. So, brilliant. And, you know, sea shantymen have their roots back into the 19th century. Uh, for sure, mid-19th century, or probably a little bit after, uh, up until around this time of the Civil War, there are some sea shantymen that it still exist to this day. But there's another kind of cantor, too. Uh... In factories back in you know, the 1800s, again, when we're getting into the industrial era, right? The Cantor didn't sing. Well, maybe he did if he was talented enough, but more often than not, the, tant- the Cantor told jokes and read from the newspaper, you know, at this big, tall tower so people could, uh, you know, his voice could carry and people could hear what he was saying, right? So what do you think probably killed the role of the Cantor? The uh, The phonograph. Probably the phonograph or probably the radio, right?
0: Radio killed the canter. Right. It's
1: funny how we still have the same practice. Yeah. But it's now a machine's job instead of a person's job, right? You just turn on the radio when you're at work and it makes the time go by a little bit easier, right? Right. Or if you want to hear the news... You turn on the radio and you go change it to the AM stations. You go listen to talk radio for a bit. Or you, you listen to one of us, guys. We can technically be the bastions of canters that are left. Though you probably aren't listening to us if you're in a factory, because that might be too distracting. Um, <laughs> to listen to a conversation while you're doing, like, operating heavy machinery. Um, I just, I find that role fascinating, because it, we don't have it anymore. And it just, it just seems like, what kind of stories were told... In those factories, what news is being shared? You know, was this a thing that happened, you know, during World War One? You know, were were people getting war updates? Were people getting, you know, news about the world? Were people just making political jokes? Those kind of conversations fascinate me. So that's why I wanted to share it. It is fascinating. And, you know, you're right.
0: It's another situation where technology is more convenient Mm -hmm. and therefore it takes over. And it makes sense, right? You know, I'm, I'm not disputing that that shouldn't happen. I'm happy that I have a refrigerator, for example, right? And, you know, it, I think it makes sense in the same context as well. Um, but you also lose something with that. And uh, if we didn't have it recorded in history, we would be losing it entirely. So thank you for keeping it alive, Brian. You are welcome, sir. You're a good man. You're a good man, Charlie Brown. Thank you. So you know what? What? All of this gets me thinking about one thing. Cutting down trees and throwing them in a river.
1: Okay. Why?
0: Because it's my next topic and I don't have a segue. Okay. Yeah, all right. Like how I handled that? Well done. It did have a segue. Yeah, thank you. Well done. What are the most iconic images of, I guess I'd say, you know, the idea of the lumberjack, right, is, of course, flannel. Can't get away from the flannel. (laughs) Um, and of course the song songs and I axes right? and that's yep. okay then that's okay you know if I you want to wear women's clothing that's fine <laughs> <laughs> exactly um <laughs> you want to dress like a oh, like your dear mama that's fine too um you know obviously cutting down trees yelling out timber but also that iconic image of the guy on top of the log riding that thing down the river sure And very dangerous as well. Oh, extraordinarily dangerous! You get all the dangerous jobs. (laughs) Did
1: you notice that they're more
0: fun? Yeah, yeah. Um, So sawmills, you know, once they kind of came into existence, were a big thing, and deforestation has its origins in that and around that time, right? And the early twentieth century, uh, late nineteenth century, is when this trade really began to explode. Sure, and the need to have, um, you know, the the forest brought to the mill. Obviously, rivers were going to be the primary source for for transportation. You know, logs are huge. Cutting them up ahead of time didn't really make as much sense, especially if you wanted to, you know, produce fine pieces of very long and deliberately, you know, intentionally created pieces of wood like that. So you needed to get them to the mill. And just so happens that rivers run through forests. That's, you know they run in a lot of places but they also run through forests so it kind of makes sense.
1: Makes sense cuz water's nearby so naturally any yeah. any plant life that would be there right. would be around water so And you
0: know in an ideal situation you would have a river that is completely and totally straight and you could chop down the trees and then just let them float to their desired destination no problem right? Yeah
1: but unfortunately geology.
0: Yeah so. damn it. <laughs> Stupid earth.
1: <laughs> Uh, yeah. Tectonic that... <laughs> plates shift and, you and know. glacier melts and all this crap. And land becomes bigger. Erosion. And zigzags, exactly. All these, things,
0: all these things happen. Yeah. So you had to have people guide these logs down the river. And it didn't make sense for you standing out on the shore doing this. You had to kind of be on the water making it happen. And it was a very complex process, which is not easy. And it would oftentimes take several days to transport the desired logs to the mill. And... A very intricate uh, teamwork had to be designed and developed and maintained in order to make sure the proper amount of communication was going around to get everything where it needed to go. So you had a lot of different jobs that were actually involved in this. There was not just you know one person that was kind of leading the way. I mean, you see that kind of in movies or just a still image of just one guy on a log. It was a huge group of people. And they needed to be supported by a support group of people. So in addition to them, you also had floating barges that would be you know going behind them, built on rafts. That supported a galley, a place for them all to go and eat and serve meals four times a day. Uh, you had accompanying wagons, who would be bringing, you know, along all the other supplies and materials that they'd need for bunking up at night and all that good sure. stuff.
1: Sure, makes sense.
0: Yeah, so there's a lot going on here. Uh, so log drivers or river pigs, as they were oftentimes known, because mm. let's face it, you know, they didn't exactly pick the uh, the most gentlemanly types to do this. Uh, they were perhaps the most desirable people in society, Sure, uh, broke up into a bunch of different groups. So you kind of had your jam crew and your beat crew, right? So the jam crew were much more experienced generally, and they were the folks who were kind of up in the front guiding this all down the river, and they were the ones who were responsible for preventing all these logs, hundreds of them in many cases, from getting clogged up in certain parts of the river and then... You know, bunging everything up and then all of a sudden you've got a huge problem that's going to take hours, if not days, to fix. So they had to be maneuverable and be able to not just move the own log that they're on, but also be able to jump logs back and forth and be able to, you know, get them out of their tight spots. Um, they generally also were the kind of organizers and facilitators of all of this going on. One of the the main qualities that they looked for, however, was somebody who was, yes, agile, somebody who was strong, obviously, but someone who could also beat the living crap out of someone. Um, In case they were trying to steal a log? No, in case they were being, you know, jerks, uh, because, you know, you get that much testosterone on a river, uh, there's going to be confrontation, there's going to be problems that are going to develop. So So this is
1: where the image of the big burly lumberjack kind of came from. Yeah, they were there to kick everybody else's ass, so they kept working. Seriously,
0: that's what they were looking for. That was, like, in the job description. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then you kind of had your beat crew who made up the the remainder, right, with the most inexperienced members at the back uh, so that they didn't really cause any kind of problems or jams, but they still kept kind of things going. And, you know, this was extremely dangerous. You could slip and fall and, you know, shatter an ankle or, or sprain an ankle. You could... Drowned in the river, you can get caught pulled under the, you know, under the the water if you hit a, a more difficult spot of the river, you could cut yourself up on rocks. Uh, people died. And it wasn't it wasn't easy. But the people who didn't die <laughs> got really, really good at their job and kept doing it for about as long as they could. Um, kind of with the hope of becoming the walking boss. And that was the one who really was the the primary coordinator out of everything uh, and the one who just kind of kept everyone out of trouble. Their big worry was not only would they get stalled up and be behind schedule, but then they'd have all these testosterone-filled, you know, guys running around causing muck at somewhere, wherever they were at, you know, whatever local saloon they ended up landing in as a result of it. So there was a lot on whoever's plate it was to to get that going. Um, They used... Very simple tools, themselves, their arms, and long poles in order to maneuver and push the logs around and push the log that they were using to to get around. So
1: basically like
0: these kind of makeshift oars. Yeah, simple technology, right? The, The complex part came into the organization, the coordination, the communication that went into all of this, and not only what they're doing on the river every day, but also the wagon train that's being pulled along with all the materials and supplies and everything that they needed to be able to set up camp. So this was a big operation. And when things didn't go well, it was uh, it was a big problem. You relied on melting ice from the winter to supply you with a nice full river that was continuing to move things along. And if you didn't have that, you could end up high and dry.
1: Quite literally.
0: Well, you've heard the expression before. Yeah. This is where it comes from. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So the biggest fear... Was that your river water would you know simply run out right? So you would end up somewhere really shallow. Your logs would get stuck in one space, and then you'd have to wait until a whole nother year to get to them because the you know you were you were high and dry. The the logs were high up and dry because there's no water around them. Interesting. Uh, so that's actually where the expression comes from. Uh, you've heard of burling as well. This is when you know people I've heard go of burling
1: on game. <laughs>
0: No, um, I will be there next week though. Uh, no, it's it's the kind of modern logging contests that go on, right? So there's all these different activities is that, where that happen. Where men
1: come from? Is that where the term comes from? I
0: don't know. I, I don't think so. But that would be funny. Uh, one of the one of the many activities is getting on top of a log and keeping your balance while you keep the log spinning and rolling in the water. So mm-hmm. that's based on the actual techniques that they use to keep themselves on and oh. try to kind of maneuver themselves a little bit as well. So there's there's elements of this that still survive today. Cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, nobody really does it quite the same way. Most logs are hauled on trucks now across, you know, large, large stretches of, of wilderness.
1: Sure. And they have whole have TV like... shows on it. It's awful. Exactly. <laughs> and we have other means of lifting them onto trucks. It's It's all very mechanized. Yeah. Now. Yeah yeah so that was fun that was great yeah i have no segue to wrap up the next that's the okay we we're
0: we we're struggling with the segues today we started strong
1: and it all fell apart oh sounds like my love life so uh <laughs> <laughs> if only we had sarah here to keep things if going. only we had sarah for the segues i know indeed uh i'm just kidding my love life is amazing uh <laughs> actually that's 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 not even true uh anyway, anyway lamp lighters bring us home brian <laughs> Lamplighters. Lamplighters. Uh, very simple, actually. This is going to be real quick. Uh, I mean, so the idea was that, you know, in the city's pre-electricity, so we're talking, you know, up to until the, the late 19th century, um, you needed someone to, to light lanterns so that, you know, people could see at night, you know? Yeah. And, I mean, lanterns themselves, gas lanterns, are actually, they had a very short lifespan because you're really only talking about... You know, sure, there was oil, and then, of course, when the industrial era happened, kerosene came from refined crude oil. And that's what essentially these guys were doing, was just lighting kerosene uh, lamps. Um, but in some cultures, though, I think it's interesting, because they, are, they were also considered watchmen in some places, mm. because, you know, they were the one person who's out at night. Well, it makes sense. Sure. I mean, you make up your neighborhood watch of sure. people who are out and about walking around at night. So, right, you know, if you're in a place where there's, the magistrate is out of out of reach and you don't have a formalized police force, you know, you need someone who can kind of keep an eye on things. So, I find that was very fascinating. Um, but also the symbolism of the lamplighter, because even though their purpose has long since gone away, there's so much of a the idea of just you no know, opening up, you no know, literally putting a light into the darkness, has. Um, there have been religious communities that have called themselves lamplighters for that same reason. There is a uh, there is a branch, there's a group within side uh, AA that calls themselves lamplighters for the same idea, lighting a candle or again lighting a, a candle or a lamp to fight the darkness. And it's as of right now, it's an extremely rare job. Um, there are a couple other references of to it too. Uh, there's definitely still some small villages in uh, Eastern Europe. I think there's actually still a village in Poland. Where the lamps are so old that they uh, they still have someone light them at night. Really, um, they couldn't just put like
0: LEDs with little
1: solar panels out in front of them. I'm just saying. This is a very remote part of. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sure they I mean. Paula's not use remote. not <laughs> But I'm just saying, like you know, we live in the Silicon Valley where you know you fart and there's technology that this advanced by it. You know, this <laughs> it's true. I think that's a
0: process, actually. <laughs> yeah,
1: literally. Uh, that's it's not Eureka. It's <laughs> so anyway. Um. But, you know, in other parts of the country where, you know, those advances don't get there as quickly, I mean it makes sense that they're gonna stick to what they what they know. Okay. Right. Um speaking of other of other um lamplighter references, I wanted to mention this mention this. Frank Serpico, the uh, whistleblower for the NYPD's corruption, uh was called a lamplighter for the same reason. Because mm. again, whistleblowers And no, he's being a watchman, right? Right, And it goes back again to the lamplighter watchman. Oh, that's interesting. I like that. Uh, I also want to make a spy callback. Ooh. uh, Because in the novel Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, Mm -hmm. uh, lamplighters uh, are a section of British intelligence that provide surveillance and couriers, which again, makes sense, right? Because you're just out and about on the streets, minding your own business, or so it would appear. Right. So they know who's sleeping with the prostitutes in their village. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's sad that the lamplighter's gone now. And also, by the way, this was a dangerous position because, you know, if you've ever been to an industrialized city, you no, know, some lamps are like 12, 15 feet tall. Sure. So they had to be a light enough weight person to be able to climb and a limber enough person to climb the... The lamp. Did they use any tools to kind of... Well, sure. I'm sure some of them had like a rod where you could light it. But oftentimes you had to climb the thing. Yeah. Which also means you could obviously fall and kill yourself. Or set yourself on fire. Or set yourself on fire. So, you know, probably a position that's, we're glad, has been replaced by technology because, again, too many risks involved. And the guys who were lamp lighters probably became electricians, you know? Hopefully. We'll see. They you became know. light bulb changers. They became light bulb changers. Exactly. They became a maintenance person, essentially. Right? And that's all it really is now. Is It's it's a maintenance... If there's anything that's close to the lamplighter, you're a groundskeeper. You're just like a, a city maintenance department person right around those little trucks that, you know, aren't street legal.
0: <laughs> there's a ladder attached to the side. Yeah. I got exactly. You. <laughs> yeah. Well, there well, we there go. Well, there you have it, ladies yes, and gentlemen. Thank you for illuminating us with that, Brian. You're very welcome. It was my pleasure. Yeah, it was a little on the lighter
1: side. <laughs> um, ah, I see what you did there, but uh, yeah, that's fine. I thought we would end things on a lighter note, anyway. So, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. I see what you did. You took my pun. I did I see that. I, see I that. stole it. So now that we've done
0: that, you know what I think it's time for. I've got this, this, this itching sensation I don't oh. have a
1: cream for that oh by the way. no no it's listener feedback that's what it is oh yeah
0: this week in listener
1: feedback hey Eric guess what what we don't have any feedback alright wait alright really really but that's that's horrible I know
0: that makes me really sad
1: it makes me really sad really it actually makes me want to cry you should do that and you know we worked so hard to do this podcast look at what you did people we just want to hear
0: what you have to say. You made Brian cry. Do you know how hard that is? It It is so hard
1: because my heart has been so hardened. It has never happened on this show. I have show. been rejected by so many casting directors. Not even point. not even during a Thanksgiving episode. Not even.
0: not e- I can't even. Yeah, well, that sounds like a problem with math, but let's get back to this. Um, okay, so we have no listener feedback for right now. You know what, folks? Fix that. Go to our website, nernotomy.com. Drop us a line. Head over, give us some listener
1: feedback. We would absolutely love to hear what you have yes, to say. Yes, you can do that by clicking on the Talk To Us link. You can also hit us up on our social media all over the interwebs. Yeah. Um, pretty much just throw a stone and look for Nerdonomy. You will find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, and do it that way. You, and then while you're at Nerdonomy.com, you know what you can also do? Buy a t-shirt. Yeah. Give us a donation if you oh, want yeah. to. We appreciate money. Uh, or if you want to get something for your... Dollars and cents, uh, you can follow one of our affiliates by either going through our backlog and clicking on our Amazon links, or by going to audibletrial.com slash nerdonomy, and signing up for a free trial to audible.com. We will get a little bit of a commission off of that. Uh, if you're listening to this from a web browser on a computer, then you can click on the Audible link on the right side of the page, and that will be just enough. So here, here. But you know what's more important, Eric? Besides all that money and Feedback and other good stuff. What's what's the most important thing? Spreading the word of nerd.
0: Absolutely. Tell your friends, tell your family members, tell your clergymen, tell your jailer, tell your uh, local gog farmer, um, anyone that will listen tell to Tell the us. person at the work that you don't like that much. Email the president of the United States and that. his lovely we wife. We shouldn't do that. I did that already. That's oh, a bad idea. Okay. Don't do that. Because we, we don't want to end up in prison
1: again. So uh, just tell people, spread the word. Yes, indeed. And you know, nerds, it is that time. So until we meet again, stay nerdy and tune into our next exciting episode. Same nerd time, same nerd channel, nerdonomy.com. Au revoir.
0: I gotta to to go back to the drawing board here now and uh Ooh, inseminator. Oh no, that's that's for cows. Um let's see here.